Hi, I'm Kevin Giovanoni. I'm the Professor of Neurology from Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I sincerely hope this will be my last MSL for newsletter dedicated to COVID-19 and the pandemic. I've been trying to avoid doing another COVID-19 update, but I've been getting quite a lot of emails and requests, particularly around the current surge in cases that is occurring in the United Kingdom and elsewhere. I think it's really reassuring that this week a large study from the UK of over one and a half million COVID-19 cases was published out of uh, Imperial College. And it basically shows you that the Omicron variant is a lot milder than Delta and has also replaced Delta as the world's uh, dominant strain. Uh, and I think this is kind of what happens when viruses evolve. They become more benign as they become endemic. But I think the important thing is that overall the number of hospitalizations with Omicron is about 60% lower than Delta and the risk of dying is reduced by uh, 70%. And this is not only for people who have previously been vaccinated, this also applies to the unvaccinated population. So it's very, very reassuring. Um, uh, I think it also shows you that three doses uh, was better than two doses, and uh, the people who had three doses of the vaccine had a reduced risk of hospitalization of death of over 70%. So the message is overall very, very good. I also want to point out that... Uh, there are other variants emerging. So the original BA1 variant, which is the first variant of Omicron, is gradually being replaced by a new variant called BA2, which although they class them as Omicron, um, most virologists would actually think that the BA2 is a separate variant. It's related to uh, BA1, but it comes off much earlier in terms of the evolutionary tree. And I've put a figure in the um, uh, uh, physical newsletter to illustrate where the BA2 comes from. Um, there are other strains emerging, so there are some mixtures, mixtures. So these would happen when people get infected with Delta and Omicron at the same time and the viruses recombine. And this is referred to as Deltacron. Whether or not these uh, Deltacron strains um, will emerge as being dominant will depend on their biology, whether or not they're more competitive relative to the BA1 and BA2 uh, variants. At the same time, there are variants evolving all over the world, and there's some uh, probably more worrying ones in Southeast Asia that have been identified. But don't get alarmed. It's looking very good as herd immunity increases. You know, we have the ability at a population level in terms of our immunity to deal with the emerging new uh, SARS-CoV-2 variants. Um, I think the other thing is there's been some data out of Israel and some other studies showing you that a fourth boost, a fourth dose or a second booster in people who haven't had um, uh, th three doses as part of their primary vaccine uh, also helps. Uh, and Moderna has just announced in the last few days that they are applying to you know, FDA to get a license extended to cover a second booster. At the same time, um, all the vaccine companies, particularly the RNA platforms, that's Moderna and the Pfizer-BioNTech, are testing out new vaccines covering the uh, other strains um, and I suspect what will happen in the future is anybody who has uh, who is vulnerable and maybe even the general population it all depends on the uh, severity of the new variants will be getting a seasonal or annual uh, booster vaccine covering new variants like we do with influenza so this is going to become the norm we're beginning to live we're beginning to live with the virus
Um, the other good news for people in the UK um, is that a new therapy has just been licensed um, for treating or preventing uh, COVID-19. So this is a, uh, it's called Evusheld, like shield, Evusheld, which is made by AstraZeneca. It's a combination of two neutralizing antibodies. Um, and it's been licensed as for pre-exposure prophylaxis, in other words, to prevent you getting severe COVID-19. Now, the, we don't know how the NHS is going to adopt this or use it, but I suspect we will have it as part of our treatment protocol, uh, mainly in people that are very high risk or the most vulnerable patients. When it comes to multiple sclerosis, I suspect this may be a very small number, maybe those about to undergo uh, autologous hemopoietic stem cell transplant or even alumtuzumab, just to cover them um, while the immune systems are flat, you know, they don't have any T cells in their peripheral blood uh, in, the, in the event that they, if they did get exposed to coronavirus, they'll have some passive immunity to protect them from getting severe disease. I'm not saying the NHS is going to do that, but that will be my thinking. This is not going to be widely available and will be there to protect the most vulnerable patients. So this will not only be MS patients on these immunodepleting therapies for a short period of time, but will cover cancer patients, bone marrow transplant patients, and maybe some, um, uh, maybe even pregnant women who are vulnerable. And that may apply to MS, for example. You know, multiple sclerosis patients who have been on an immunotherapy like an anti-CD20 who fall pregnant and may, uh, for example, be, be offered Evusheld. And I, I've had a few queries about how safe are monoclonal antibodies. I think in general, antibody therapies are safe in pregnancy, particularly if they're therapeutic antibodies targeting viral proteins, because we do know that as the placenta matures in the second and third trimester of pregnancy, antibodies cross over the placenta into the baby circulation. And this is how the mother transfers passive immunity to her, her baby. And uh, because the monoclonal or the antibodies that target uh, the coronavirus are not targeting a self-antigen, they are safe. Um, it's different for a therapeutic antibody. For example, if you gave a pregnant woman in the second or third trimester oculizumab, anti-CD20 therapy, those antibodies will cross over the placenta into the peripheral blood and they will cause depletion of the baby's B cells. So there are other issues around, uh, well, it's the issue around how safe antibodies are depends what their therapeutic target is. Um, and I suppose the other thing I must point out that since my last update, there has been a new class of therapy. These are so-called the uh, uh, JAK and STAT inhibitors, JAK-STAT inhibitors. So these are anti-inflammatory oral drugs that are used in rheumatoid arthritis and atopic dermatitis have been shown to uh, work in people with severe COVID-19 to prevent death. Um, and so there's another group of anti-inflammatory therapies that can be used to manage people with severe COVID-19. And I suspect this is just another little bit of the puzzle about how do we take people who get severe COVID-19 or, or, or going to get severe COVID-19, treat them with an anti-inflammatory and prevent them from going into hospital or ITU and needing a ventilator. So, you know, the good news is that we now have a large number of effective therapies to treat COVID-19. Uh, we have the prevention strategies, treatment strategies. So it's all looking good. Everything's looking green in terms of, uh, you know, how this pandemic uh, is evolving. Um, so I suppose my advice then would be much the same, you know, get vaccinated. If you haven't been vaccinated or get your boosters according to your, the local guidelines, 
And I think it should you should get it as soon as possible, regardless of what disease modifying therapy you're on. I suppose if you are on ocrelizumab and you can, you may want to wait until at least three months after your last infusion before you get a booster or start getting vaccinated. I think the other important thing is that we now shown in the UK that people on anti-CD20 therapies, when they do get their third dose of vaccine, you know, about a third of them uh, mount antibody responses. Uh, and so um, it's not all bad news for people on anti-CD20. It's not like you're going to be never get an immune response. So it looks like the immune system, the more you challenge it, the higher the antibody uh, rates are. So this is why I'm not... Um, telling people to interrupt dosing anymore. The virus has got more benign. Interrupting dosing creates havoc in terms of logistics. It causes stress and anxiety for the patient. So my advice to uh, my patients on ocrelizumab is just to go ahead with your six monthly infusions and we'll try and um, time your vaccines or your booster vaccines uh, to, go, to, to go into the uh, um, you know, th last three months of the cycle prior to your next infusion. And we'll boost you when boosters come available. I think it's very important, though, that all people with MS get on get themselves onto the uh, NHS England vulnerable list. This provides you rapid access to PCR testing, which has been stopped at a population level. So you'll have a specific PCR test sent to you. If it's positive, then you'll get antivirals uh, just, uh, in the in the community. This is not controlled by MS centres or your general practitioner. Your general practitioner is responsible for putting you on the vulnerable list. Um, but there's what they call COVID-19 community-based hubs that uh, uh, control this. It's not perfect. You know, I've had some patients that have, uh, it's been wonderful. They've had a PCR test picked up in the morning. They get their antivirals in the afternoon. Uh, other people have uh, not been able to get the antivirals because their PCR test got lost. Uh, you know, like all systems, there will be some people where the system fails. But in general, it's working extremely well. So please make sure you're on that vulnerable list, and you will know if you're on that vulnerable list if you if you live in England, because you would have been sent a specific PCR test, uh, which you should have at home. Um, I think you should start getting back to normal. In other words, start socialising, going out, meeting family and friends. Much you know, we social beasts. Social isolation is really bad for the brain, and we now know that uh, it's caused massive mental health problems, and it is probably counterproductive now. So I personally are telling all my patients get social you know start getting back out there um I, th I think you have to remain a little bit cautious you know try and try and avoid high risk environments if you are uh, are vulnerable but in general you know you know uh, don't worry too much because we now have a mild or much but more benign variant we have the treatments uh, both in the community and in hospital and so the overall prognosis of COVID-19 now is looking much, much, much better. Um, I think we entering so-called endgame. You know, when I was a child, you know, my mother and her friends used to have these things called chicken pox parties, you know, to make sure that their children got chicken pox when they were toddlers, you know, one or two years of age. Um, and this was like a form of natural vaccination so that they didn't have to be non-immune when they were older, when chicken pox is much more severe. And so this uh, it's interesting that back then, before they had a chickenpox or Baricella zoster virus vaccine, society had worked out how to use wild-type uh, mild early infections to protect children from severe late infection. And I suspect, you know, my interpretation of the government guidelines is that they're doing this right now. You know, the government is hoping as many people 
you know, go out there and get wild-type COVID-19 infection, particularly while the uh, Omicron variants are circulating, which are relatively benign, to drive up population herd immunity. And by, uh, by doing this, then we will um, hopefully protect vulnerable people because the herd protects vulnerable people. And we will see gradually um, over time uh, the incidence of, of COVID-19 dropping off. Um, so I think this change in philosophy is uh, telling us that the government and public health officials are playing the end game in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic in the United Kingdom. I'm not talking about other countries. You know, we've gone through a lot of trauma over the last two years. Um, you know, some countries like China, for example, um, you know, New Zealand, Australia are, you know, you know, 12, 12, 12 plus months behind us because they haven't got much uh, herd immunity in the population, so they can't do this. Um, but anyway, it's very good news for me, particularly uh, as I look out my window, yeah, while I'm recording this and seeing the sunshine and hearing the birds chirping, you know, spring has arrived, so this is all looking very, very good. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to uh, this newsletter. And please, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Um, the newsletters are completely free. But I am asking people who like these newsletters who can afford to subscribe with a paid subscription to do so because I'm using the subscriptions to um, uh, develop a whole lot of other activities behind the scenes. We will be launching a, a curated microsite or website so people can go in and find information using an index, uh, keywords, etc. And once that site's up and running, it'll always be uh, um, initiative in, in motion because things change over time. But we'll also be uh, launching, um, I'm not going to promise when, probably towards the end of the year, a, a massive online open course, um, probably starting with newly diagnosed people with multiple sclerosis uh, to help them make decisions around disease modifying therapy so this will be um, you know modular so people can dip in dip out and understand what they need to understand um, about making decisions around the treatment of their disease so that's what we're going to be using um, the subscriptions for thank you take care bye-bye